You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. We're going to look at the gospel passage from Luke chapter 2 today, and this passage is the only biblical account um, that uh, from the gospels outside of Jesus' infancy and adulthood. That the gospels give us either a narrative from when Jesus is a, a small child or when he's an adult. This uh, here in Luke alone is the only time where we see some in-between years when Jesus is 12 years old. It's a strange passage that seems to beg more questions than it provides answers. And I want to answer two of what I think are the most natural questions that this passage might raise. It can raise other questions, but there are two that I want to focus in on um, But the passage does have some things to teach us, so we'll talk about that too. So I'm also going to offer two important um, implications or conclusions from this passage, and the two implications are related to the two questions. So you track with me? Two questions that I think this passage raises, we'll address them, and we'll see that actually we can draw some really important conclusions from those questions. So to recap the story, this is uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through uh, 52. Uh, Jesus' family, which is Joseph and Mary and himself, together with a caravan of people from Galilee, go from uh, up north in Galilee down south to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage for the Passover uh, festival. And this, this alone demonstrates that they're a pious, uh, a devoted family, because not everyone would, would have done this at the time. Uh, maybe men, but certainly not always women and and children. So they're a very devout family we see from this pilgrimage. And when they're there in Jerusalem, they leave to go back to Galilee. And on their way home, they assume that the 12-year-old Jesus, their son, is in the caravan. Uh, By that, I I don't mean a dodge, like it's a, a, a company of people traveling together because they're afraid that robbers might attack them. So they, they're in numbers, okay? So uh, they're in this group of people, and they think Jesus is there. Um, but after one day's journey, they realize that he isn't in the company of people traveling. So his uh, earthly father and mother Mary return to Jerusalem, which takes a day to go back to find uh, Jesus in conversation in the temple with some religious teachers, And Mary, when she finds him, expresses her disappointment, and Jesus responds that it's only natural that he would be in his heavenly father's house, meaning there in the temple compound. Mary and Joseph don't seem to understand what he's saying, and all this is in spite, their confusion of what he's saying is in spite of everything that's happened already in chapters 1 and 2, a lot of supernatural occurrences, including angels speaking to them in person or in dreams. Uh, And yet, still not entirely clear, it seems, on uh, Jesus' identity uh, in the story. Jesus, after this encounter, he he does return with the family to Galilee, and this makes Mary happy. As Luke uh, says on a couple of occasions, she's treasured these things up in her heart. Um, Well, the first question that we might, this is my first of two questions that we might ask, that you might ask, that I ask myself when looking at this, has to do with Jesus' development as a child. Um, How is it that Jesus developed as a child, not just physically? Um, The Orthodox 
meaning the right understanding or the, the biblical understanding of Jesus is that he is the eternal word of God. He's co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Spirit. He was there at creation. As a matter of fact, he was the creator. He is God. And he's therefore full of wisdom and truth and knowledge beyond any human comprehension that we'll ever have. And yet, we see here in this story that by becoming human, he also learned. We see him engaging with the religious teachers, discussing, listening, answering questions. And then more importantly, we have verse 52, which says this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Um, And this is very similar to what is said about him in verse 40 in reference to him being an infant right before our passage, immediately before our passage. Uh, In verse 40, Luke says this. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him which is very similar to the end of chapter 1, verse 80, which is a really long chapter, focusing on the story of John the Baptist, where Luke says very similar things about John the Baptist, who is not the eternal word of God. He's just a man. He's albeit a prophet, but still a man, just a man. And here uh, Luke says about John, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. And so as you see, just using similar language about how John uh, developed as a person, so he's described Jesus uh, twice in two different statements and in this story, Um, which all echo uh, a reading that we had during the Christmas season from Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, It's very good when you come to church to bring your Bible or to pull one out uh, from the pews so you can kind of follow along if I want to bounce around like this. Because I could be saying whatever I want. I could be making this stuff up. You need to check it out. Do you know who who the Bereans were? They verified everything that was said by looking at the Bible. They didn't just take so-and-so's word for it. So be like the Bereans and have a look at um, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 through 16, which we read uh, during Christmas. And this is about Jesus. Uh, It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So, what does all of this tell us? Uh, in, in these different verses and here also in Isaiah, what does this tell us about God becoming man? Uh, meaning that he took on the whole fullness of humanity, including the, the normal processes of, of development, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and, and spiritually. He was in the womb. He was born a baby. He lived as a very small child, uh, infant, toddler, early childhood, and now we see him in budding adolescence at the age of 12. And the Jewish culture then, like now, would have considered 13 as sort of uh, a marker 
of when one enters adulthood. And so you see here, I'm at the end of his childhood, on the cusp of adulthood and uh, developing. If you have trouble accepting uh, that there was a period when Jesus, that Jesus went through when he w- was absent of many of his powerful qualities of being divine, uh, his knowledge, understanding, wisdom, strength, and even understanding of himself, I completely understand. I mean, this is sort of perplexing. How could, how could this be? If you struggle with that notion, I, I totally get it. But this is uh, what happened. And it's the biblical position. It's the orthodox position. Uh, And without this happening, you and I would not be redeemed. This needed to happen. Jesus had to become fully human in all ways to take on uh, humanity in order to redeem us, which also means he became weak and needy and developing like us. Just listen uh, to this explanation. This is one of the better explanations of what I'm talking about. Is in uh, Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says this. This is uh, Philippians 2, starting at the fifth verse. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And part of um, his emptying himself of his divinity in order to become man means that he grew in understanding and maturity in addition to his, his physical growth. So that's the... The first question, what does it mean that uh, Jesus was a a child and learned and developed that you might ask and some wrestling with it? Well, here's a a conclusion that we can draw um, from this story, from our passage, based on Jesus developing as a child, that Jesus gives us an image of what adolescent children could be like, how they're designed If Jesus at age 12 displayed maturity and a very good understanding of biblical truth, then this is also possible for other 12-year-old humans. It's what they're capable of. Jesus is the ultimate, he's always the ultimate man, the ultimate person, demonstrating what a sinless life uh, would look like. And the things that we see in Jesus are to some degree attainable for those who are in him, who are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus explains in John, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. So the reason this is possible is because he would send his spirit after going to his Father. And and listen, uh, um, all people, including born-again 12-year-olds, uh, still have sin. Don't get me wrong here. I mean, uh, anyone uh, who's in Christ still has sin. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But Luke did put this story here on purpose, in part to demonstrate what a 12-year-old uh, life is, is capable of. And I bring this up because I really dislike the way that people often talk about children. 
in, in a lot of conversations that I felt, find myself in, I really uh, dislike the way where the things that I hear people say, especially about adolescents, uh, teenagers, you know, really 12 or older. My kids are, are nine, I have four kids, they're nine, seven, two, and we have a baby who just turned seven months. And people, and life is really hard. I'm really tired right now uh, because, because of my kids. I think I'm getting a cold all the, all the time. Um, there's always illness. There's always crying and screaming and fighting. Uh, you know, and our two-year-old's a boy, which is a totally different world than our girls. Uh, and, then we, and we have a baby. Um, there's a, if I told you there's a great Jim Gaffigan line when he had his fourth child, and uh, he said, having a, a, a four children is like, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> I love that. That's his joke, not mine. Um, but, you know, I'm in the middle of this and people say to me, just wait till they're teenagers. Um, I really don't like it when people say that. If that, you know, take a mental note. If you're, if you're thinking about saying that to me, I won't appreciate it. Because um, life's already really hard. And I think that teenagers are capable of being uh, people in ways that we don't imagine or give them credit. Um, you know, our main goal with our children is, to, as, as the Isaiah passage says uh, today, you know, when Holly and I sit down and say, when push comes to shove, like even if they're illiterate and don't know calculus, if like the Isaiah passage, they can refuse evil and choose the good, that would be great, you know, because then they can make uh, appropriate decisions by the time they're, say, 12 or 13. And I pray often that God will make this so by giving them uh, his spirit to guide them. And this includes faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that this is possible. I don't only think it. I've seen it. Not only do we see it here with Jesus, I know some really well-rounded teenagers who are mature, that are pleasant to be around and, and have the Holy Spirit uh, and articulate in the things of Jesus. Uh, could it be that teenagers are, are not by nature completely frustrating creatures, uh, but that much of uh, adolescent behavior, at least stereotypically, that we encounter is our own fault instead? Uh, we see in a passage like this that there's a lot more hidden pot- potential than we expect. And many of the uh, problems that we have with them are products of both their sin inside of them and also living inside of a sinful world that's full of uh, things that influence them and, and provide unhealthy inputs. Our, our passage demonstrates for us something else, that something else is possible. The second question this story raises is related to obedience. Is Jesus being disobedient to his parents is a question you might ask, particularly with respect to the Ten Commandments that we read today. Is he dishonoring the command to honor his earthly father and his mother? And the answer, of course, has to be no. It has to be no, because Jesus was without sin. Uh, This is why Paul says, Probably one of the, the best lines in explaining the gospel, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
if uh, Jesus were dishonoring his parents, then the gospel would be null and void. And so, no, he is not. Of course, Mary and Joseph felt mistreated by Jesus. Um, I mean, a lot of people felt, were perplexed and felt mistreated by Jesus. Uh, but nothing tells us that he dishonored them. Actually, in verse 51, we learn that he goes back with them and is submissive to them as, a, as, as their child honoring them and remaining sinless. <coughs> so what, uh, what's going on here when Jesus is in the temple by himself in this story? Challenging, he's challenging the religious teachers and bringing uh, discomfort to his earthly parents. The, <coughs> the answer to, to this is also my second big conclusion for today that Jesus was obediently submitting to the will of his Father. That that's, what we, that's the main emphasis in what he's saying. In other words, he's choosing God over religion and family. It's clear that he is uh, disagreeing with and challenging the teachers and asking pointed questions. And he's doing something unexpected as a child, challenging his family's expectations. But he's doing these things apparently because it's his heavenly father's will. These are the things that he wanted him to do. And by 12, he has an understanding of who he is and his relationship with his father. Uh, over uh, that of his family, over that of religion, and over that of any other authorities in, in this world. So the second big implication today is this, that by choosing the will of the father... Uh, over anyone else, Jesus is also demonstrating how we are to live as well, which is to choose uh, Jesus over anyone else, to choose Jesus in the same way that Jesus chose his Father, to submit to God before anyone, even religious authorities and family. And this often leads us to trouble. I mean, it got Jesus into trouble, uh, and Jesus said, it's going to get me into trouble, of course it's going to get you into trouble too in this world. And that's why he often explains what's called the cost of discipleship. And here's one passage where he's, he's talking about this, where he's talking about us, what life looks like if, if we submit to Jesus above anything else, before even uh, worldly authorities, including religious authorities, and family. This is from Matthew 10, uh, and notice that he mentions both religious authorities and family in this passage. This is verses 16 through 22. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So the two big conclusions from this story, one last time, are this. And I think they're related. 
I'm having trouble expressing how they're related, but I really do think they're related. It is possible for children, especially teenagers, to be far more mature and wiser than we often assume. And the second thing is this. Just as Jesus submits to the will of his Father even before authorities and family, we also are expected to submit to Jesus before authorities and family, which has a cost, as it did for Jesus also. If these things are true, and this is God speaking in the passage, what does it mean for your life? What does this mean for you in practical terms? What does it mean uh, for what you think about children? If, if you have children, what is God asking you to do with them here? If you're a child, what is God saying to you in the story about Jesus as a 12-year-old? And what about submitting to the will of God and obeying Jesus as your master and king over even earthly authorities and family, perhaps to the point of persecution? What, is this, what does any of this mean for you? In today's passage, we have the, uh, the, the very first words spoken by Jesus in what are called the red letters. You know, at the earliest days, Jesus at 12, we hear him speaking for the first time in Luke's gospel, but for the first time we hear him speaking in any of the gospels. Um, let me also read to you the final red letters at the very end of Luke, uh, because this is the word that you need to hear that allows you to do any of this, it's been a theme all along, is that without the Holy Spirit, uh, nothing uh, is possible. You know, there's there's no being that 12-year-old who can choose the the evil, I mean, choose the good and refuse the evil, excuse me. Um, And uh, there's there's no submitting to the will of, of Jesus on your own without this word. Here, uh, Luke 24, verse 49, this is Jesus' promise right before he leaves this earth. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And they would be, and the Holy Spirit would come and allow for uh, such a life to be lived. Uh, None of these things are possible without the promise of the Holy Spirit. So no matter where you are in life or what you're trying to do, know that Jesus has has been there, uh, even including the awkward and disrespected age of 12. But he's, he's been through all the things, all the stages of development that you've been through. And he promises to continue to be with you clothing you with power from on high that will allow you to choose him over anything else and allow you to be the person that he's designed you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son uh, not as a man this time to come to judge the earth, but first as a small child who, who lived fully as one of us, Lord. Um, thank you for the good news that's wrapped up in this story and the image that we have of what's possible. Send us your spirit. Fill us with your spirit so that we might uh, choose you over anything else in this world, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.